Welcome to the Building Management Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk, and today we're discussing improving the wellness of occupants of many kinds with Michael Grant, COO of Asset Mapping, a UK-based building tech company. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks very much for the invite. So to begin, let me understand a little better about what your company Asset Mapping does. So to put it in simple terms, we a productivity engine for buildings or for anyone who needs to get data from the built environment, whether that be a traditional building through a building management system or whether that be somebody who's looking at agriculture and getting information out of a poultry shed or cattle. We aggregate data and information from many different sensors and many different feeds and we provide a single pane of glass view so people can see everything in one place and get relevance and context to understand their, the environments. The customers or the occupants for the buildings that uh, that your company helps uh, be more productive, they range everywhere from commercial real estate office buildings and, and those types of occupants to even some animal occupants. So you're talking about smart culture or smart agriculture, right? Yes. Yes. So it, it does range from building owners to tenants to, to occupants. And yes, we, we're doing quite a lot in the agriculture space at the moment uh, we were pulled into it actually we were looking at buildings for people but we're doing now buildings for animals and poultry is is the main one that we're doing at the moment we've been asked to do dairy farms and cattle as well because i don't know a whole lot about about that industry then i mean tell me what are some of the unique challenges that farmers and the, the ones that are trying to manage all of this run i'm like what are what are they facing so historically, if I, we take chickens or poultry as the example to start with, within a farm and a chicken shed, the farmers themselves, they would have a couple of sensors that would just feed back and they would just say, oh, it's 30 degrees or it's 25 degrees and there's this much humidity. But that doesn't give them the whole view of the sheds and the sheds can be very, very large. So what we're helping them with is, if you like, the welfare of the chickens in the sheds so that they, they can be healthier chickens through their life cycle. So we put, uh, with a partner of ours, we put, instead of two sensors, we put 27 sensors in a shed or even 50 sensors in a shed that provide temperature, humidity, CO2, noise, and light levels because chickens are affected by light, which affects their, you know, the wellness of those chickens because they get a little bit stressed out if it's too, too bright or, or too dark. And so was this kind of a, a new innovation then in understanding the, the welfare of chickens? I mean, it sounds like, so there had only been two sensors before. Was that pretty much a standard operating practice? Yes, for, for everybody. Uh, some farmers may have had four, but no one's put the amount of sensors we have in a shed with our partner. We partner up with a veterinary clinic who do the really smart stuff and understand that's, they understand then the wellness of the chickens better. But historically, there's only been a couple of sensors. It hasn't been able to be viewed by the farmer and the vets remotely and the vaccine companies because we're also working with those guys because the world needs to move away from giving animals antibiotics and moving towards vaccines, which obviously makes the animals healthier and the meat healthier for us to eat. So of those different uh, stakeholders within this, who was, who was the one really that kind of spearheaded the uh, recognizing that we needed a lot of data? We needed smart data to help uh, agriculture. A partner of ours, which is a, a veterinary clinic, 
they they work on not just chickens, but they they look at cows and pigs uh, and and other animals. And they were the ones talking with the vaccine companies and the farmers to say, how do we how do we get more information about the environments the animals in? How do we make it a better environment? And if we have all of that data, what can we do with it? And how do we view it? So the veterinary company found us by, by a mutual introduction. And we started to build this together. And over the last six months, we've done some proof of concepts. And the proof of concepts are now being so successful that we're doing rollouts throughout the UK and we'll, we'll expand beyond the UK by the end of the year. So it seems to me that uh, when you're talking about the, the wellness of or the welfare of the, the occupants within the chicken coops, that certainly reminds me of the wellness of building occupants within a, you know, an office building. Can you talk about the parallels between those and how smart data is making occupants, whether they are animal or, or human, making that a better experience? Yes. So from, from a human perspective, what people have worked out and having been in working in office buildings for, for 20 years or so, traditionally you worked in an office building if it was too hot or too cold or too stuffy, you just put up with it. But because of who we are and we're evolving, there's so much data around now. People are understanding that a building that's too hot with too much CO2 makes people inside drowsy and their cognitive functions uh, drop. We wrote an article based on some research out of Harvard uh, a while ago that number of the level of CO2, if it's at a thousand or above for a prolonged period of, of time, that's equivalent to having two pints of beer. It, uh, it does really change the cognitive function. And as an example, we worked with a tent uh, and a landlord up in the north of, of England, and we put some environmental sensors in their office. And this was uh, a mix of, of doctors in the office and consultants that worked with the NHS in the UK, the, the National Health Service. And they said their office felt a bit stuffy and it was always a bit warm. So we put some sensors in there. And within two weeks, we had the data from these sensors letting, you know, letting us, the, the, the tenant and the landlord know that the CO2 levels regularly reach 2,000 and above. And the temperature range went from 21 up to 27 degrees Celsius. So together, we took the data from that. We would spoke with work, work and spoke with the tenants and the landlords. And they then put an, a plan into place to rectify the, the, the building management system in that area of the building because it was so bad that they needed to take action. They thought there was a problem, but they didn't know how bad it was until we put all the sensors in. It seems like that's probably a very underreported uh, symptom of, of buildings because I think, one, you've got uh, a workforce that maybe doesn't want to speak up or doesn't want to complain. Uh, and then if the company management is like, okay, well, you know, we hear your concerns, and then they take that to the ones that are running the building. It seems like there's a lot of different layers just to get the on-site on data from the the occupants, like what they're feeling. So I imagine that there's not a lot of, of the smart building management and, and buildings knowing how, you know, what their CO2 levels are. Like, is there not a lot of um, data adoption yet for this technology? A lot, of, a lot of the FMs are really starting to pick up on this because if you look at WeWork as an example, one of the things that WeWork sell on, A, they sell on, it's a very cool place to work. We give you free beer every Friday, which is not the be all and end all, but they do say we have a great environment for you to work in. You know, you know, we have clean air. We, we, we look after the people that are in the building because if you look at the cost of, of a building, 
once it's been built, you know, you spend 1% on energy, 9% on operations and maintenance, but 90% of the costs are the people within the building. People are starting to pick up on this and, and facilities management companies are being asked by customers or tenants or whoever they're managing the building for to say, look, you clean the halls, you empty the bins, you look after the building management system, what else can you do for us to help, you know, help us provide a better working environment? So the uptake is happening. Some FM companies that we have spoken to, they're, uh, I'll, I'll do that when I need to. But you know, we know that that kind of mentality in business won't last for very long because some of the biggest names in industry or, or big companies in the world over the last few years are not around anymore. So people need to change. And, and that tide of change is, is happening now. We've been around for five years. And five years ago, when we first started, people weren't really interested. Unfortunately, we were still developing the platform. But now, a lot of the, the key areas we get asked for are wellness and occupancy uh, within the building. So, because they're, they're some of the biggest costs. So, people are starting to do it now. Historically, there's not a lot of data. Uh, a lot of building management systems uh, in buildings, they dump the data that's in them every six to 10 weeks. So, we are now building up a historic picture of buildings because we never delete the data that, that, we, that once we connect. So, it's happening. It's happening much faster than it has been over the last few years. And I think that will only continue to, uh, to ramp up and get faster. And of course, one of the issues that also face building management, the industry is the systems, the different systems that just don't talk to each other. And so a lot of that siloed data is also an issue. How does asset mapping help address that? So we have a, a protocol gateway, and that, that was designed and built by our CTO, Greg, he is an ex-Honeywell guy. Honeywell make building management systems and they make parts of building management systems. And while he was working with Bill Clee, uh, the CEO at the Olympics, they realized this was an issue, which is one of the reasons that asset mapping was started. But when you go into a building, everything's proprietary. So the Honeywell has their system, Johnson Controls and has theirs and Siemens has theirs. We were asked about, that's great. You have your environmental data, you have everything else, but how do you then take the data from our building management system, which has a lot of the, the, the information about the heating and cooling? So we use a piece of hardware, we put our software on it, and it's called a protocol gateway. And that allows us to connect to any building management system. Uh, and we can do that via various protocols. Uh, and then we aggregate that data into the platform. And then that allows us to overlay that data with the wellness and the occupancy data. So as all the information for the wellness of the occupants and the occupancy, the actual space of, of how that's being used, that certainly is you're seeing starting to improve the industry. What are some examples or, or some specifics that you can point to of companies that you've been able to help that have really improved the, the well-being of their employees? One of the good ones to use is the one in Manchester. So we were part of a smart cities project called City Verve. And within that, we were in the energy and environment uh, work package. And one of the things that we did was digitize buildings. So we connected to the building management system and we overlaid that with the environmental sensors. And for uh, one of the universities in Manchester, we also connected the building energy data to our platform. So we could tell them or we could show them their energy usage during the day uh, and the evening. And we could also show them how many people were in the building at the time of energy usage. So one one of the things we found out, which was interesting in, in one of the 
one of their big, big campuses up there, is that when people left the building at five o'clock, they were still using the same amount of energy up until about nine o'clock at night. So they were now able to look at the occupancy and then start to turn off energy in certain areas of the building, start to turn off HVAC in certain areas because no one was using the lecture rooms and students were not there. So they could they could then ramp down energy usage within the building. So they they are they're very excited. We've been doing that with them for the last few months, and they're very keen to continue that post the project. So that's that's been a really good one because they had no idea that once once the building was empty, that they were still using that amount of energy. They knew they were using the energy, but they didn't know why. And now we can show them that actually you don't need to be using that much energy because there's hardly anyone in the building. I guess then also applying that same technology, what we started this podcast with was talking about the smart agriculture. And so there's certainly issues that face the agriculture industry as, as a whole. So uh, how can smart agriculture and the the technology that you're offering really help the farming industry for the better? I mean, especially with this steady decline in, in farmers. So one of the ones we've been, we're looking at now, which is a new one, is in dairy. So the one of the farmers that we're starting to work with in that, he would like a better environment for the cows when, they, when they're lying down because when the, I'm, I'm learning far more about animals than I ever thought I would. Uh, but they are, when the cows lay down, it's better for them to lay down than, being stand, uh, than, than standing up because it allows the, the blood flow into their udders and that helps them produce better milk and they're happier cows. And also when they're in those sheds, a lot of them are, are open, so they're not closed small sheds. They're huge open sheds. Uh, ammonia does build up, so understanding the ammonia levels and then they can turn on fans and clean the air out and just provide a, a better environment for, for the cows that are in there. That's a, a huge one for, for farmers because they then get healthier, happier cows that produce m- more milk and better milk. So um, we, we're working with a young farmer in the, in the south of, of England on that one. You say that uh, you've been learning a lot more about animals than you ever thought you would. Uh, I guess what's, what's the most surprising thing that you've learned in this process? Uh, the amount of chickens that are eaten every year in the UK. There are 830 million chickens are eaten in the UK every year. Well, that's um, well, that's that's really great stuff, and I think uh, it's definitely a, a industry certainly to watch for all of its occupants. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining me. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you, listeners, for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and creative video. Until next time, I'm your host, Shelby Skirhoff.